Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who has told me on many occasions that joke isn't funny anymore, and I always reply with, well, I wonder. Here's my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Oh, I mean. So I, I, I almost went with the intro of here's the man who wants to go out tonight, but he doesn't have a stitch to wear. I almost went uh, with that. that as, was that, would that have been better? <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> All right. Well, here's, here's the charming man himself, Wayne Fugate. There you go. That would have been the, Oh, look at that. Oh, now that would have been so awesome. All right. Well, maybe, maybe I'll redo it. All right. So for this episode, we are joined by the lead singer and guitarist from the band that is responsible for two of my favorite songs of all time that would be ballerina out of control and sublime uh, he's also responsible for that beautiful song between something and nothing among a host of other fantastically memorable songs mostly from the early 90s late 80s but uh they're still making music his band the ocean blue just released a new album entitled kings and queens knaves and thieves and so please welcome to the podcast, David Shezel. Hi, gentlemen. How are you doing? We're doing fantastic. Do you, go by, do you go by David or Dave? Uh, most people will call me David, but okay. some of my close friends and my corniest friends call me Dave. So maybe that's what you guys want to do. Well, we'll maybe, by, <laughs> maybe by the end of it, we'll be calling you Dave. Okay. So, uh, so be, before we uh, before we get started here, so we always ask the all important question. So uh, we ask, what T-shirt are you wearing? So let's let's start with uh, let's start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing my Rough Trade Records uh, shirt. Beautiful, good tie-in for what uh, what we're going to talk about here in a moment. And how Absolutely. about you? How about you, David? What are what T-shirt are you wearing? Well, it's one of my favorite um, T-shirts uh, a band ever did. Uh, because, well, it's a record cover, but it's uh, Fact Movement, New Order, 1981. Beautiful. Nice. That is good as well. And um, I am, am wearing a Smith's T-shirt that I purchased uh, a, a, a few months ago. Actually, or was that the one that was that the yes. one that you that you gave me? <laughs> That was the one that you gave me that I already had that's, that I had to give back to you. That, that's right, because you. And are, I considered wearing that so that we, because I knew you were going to wear that. You knew so I was going to. We're going to both going to be wearing it. <laughs> uh, but then I went. I went a different direction. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, uh, we 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 do a little interview with our guests. So, David, you were recently a guest on the Hustle podcast with John Lamoureux. And, right. and I know he asked you a question about your band's popularity in the state of Utah. And I had to laugh when he asked you that because guess where I was when I saw your band for the very first time live? In Utah, hmm. 1993. Utah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this because I know you guys have played, you know, hundreds, not if not thousands of, of times already. So it was an afternoon concert in a park in downtown Salt Lake City. Remember that gig at all? I do. I do. Well, I was I was there. That was, uh, <laughs> well, in fact. And I was too. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, uh, 
this this is how important your band was to me. So I was on my way from Washington State to go to BYU. And my friend was already at BYU and he told me, hey, by the way, the Ocean Blue is going to be performing a couple days before we're even supposed to be down here um, to start school. And so um, so I drove down a couple days early just so that I could I could uh, could go to your show. Oh, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. You helped make it a memorable experience. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. So, um, so we we actually had John from the Hustle join us on an episode recently to to discuss the album Kick from NXS. You uh, you a fan of NXS at all? Yeah, though not as intensely as as the other band we'll probably talk about, um, Smith. But but sure, yeah. And and our first major label recording experience was with uh, one of NXS's uh, producers from Australia, John. Uh, or Mark Gopitz, rather. So, that's, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally a fan. Cool. And I know that John asked you a ton of questions about the history of your band, what you've been up to, et cetera. So I'm going to try my best not to repeat some of those questions. And I know you've been making the rounds, doing press for the new record. So let me just ask you this. What is, what's the one question that you're, you're super tired of being asked about? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I'm tired of any one in particular. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, I do. It's easier to a- answer questions that are a little bit off the beaten path than, you know, how do you feel about your new record or what's, yeah, yeah. Those kinds of things are hard. The general ones, you know? So I'm I'm gonna guess that everybody's been asking you. So what's the deal with you always having songs about shades of blue? <laughs> you... uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the band is the ocean blue. I like the color blue. I think it's a, it's a moody color. It's a cold color. It's a dark color. Um, I'm a melancholy guy. Blue is a melancholy color. It's jazzy. I like jazz. So I don't know. I mean, I think colors are great, great sort of metaphors or symbols for things. And I like blue. So. And and you do have a song called All the Way Blue on the current record, which is uh, which is a lot of fun. But I got to tell you, I'm absolutely in love with the song. Love doesn't make it easy on us. Speaks its truth right into our face.
attributing the female vocals on that one? My friend Allison and my friend Charlotte are singing on that track with me. And I, I just love what they're doing. Um, it's the first Ocean Blue track ever where we've had guest vocalists like that. Um, certainly the first time we've ever had, uh, well, you know, that's not entirely true, but the first time we've ever had a female voice, two female voices uh, on a track. And it really, when I was writing that song, it really felt like, because what the song was about, a dialogue in the vocal might be kind of interesting. And they were up for it. And oh man, once they just started singing, the track really came came alive for me. I, I will say this: I f- I feel like it is the uh, that's the highlight on the on the record for me. I re- I really dig it. So how do you how do you uh, perform that song live? Considering that uh, you know your your friends are not on tour with you. Yeah. So well, actually, we have a a show in Minneapolis um, tomorrow, and they're both Charlotte and Allison are going to join us for that number as well as a few others. Awesome. So the other cool thing is we have, we have some friends who are pretty great singers. And so when we played New York last month, um, we had a friend join us there, Anna. And um, and we, when we played Portland, we had another friend join us there. And so it's kind of feeling like, and, and it might happen again when we play in Philadelphia, if the stars align, you know, it's kind of, kind of fun to have, guest vocalists uh who we know join us for that number so i think that's what we're gonna gonna try and do and if not ed ronnie does a pretty good fake female voice so <laughs> he'll, he'll be called upon to to play play that role very cool you're 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 taking a little page out of uh the posies book so they have that they have oh, really? a, yeah they have a song called uh licenses to hide that came out uh, on their record uh, earlier this decade, and there's a there's a female there's a female singer on the record, and so everywhere that they end up going, they uh, essentially call on a friend in that in that area to uh, to, to to sing it. Um, no, well so, there you go. Yeah, yeah I mean it, it makes makes total sense, and it's it actually I don't know I think it's interesting for the audience to see someone else besides me sing and. Um, and if you can do that live, it's, it's a great thing. If you can connect with someone local too. So. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, I love the, that the new album really does sound fresh, yet I could totally see some of those songs being on some of the earlier Ocean Blue records, like um, Therein Lies the Problem with My Life. Uh, I love the title, by the way. Feels very <laughs> Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now kind of title. So I, I like right. it. Very nice, the problem with my heart. Very nice, the problem with my heart. I see you again, and then we're apart. Just when I like the fact that uh, I feel like with the new record, with all of your sequencing, that it actually does play like a record. 
like you even right. have you even have a really gorgeous song to close out the the record and frozen you guys conscious about actually making records not necessarily just you know singles or you know a group of songs that uh yeah we'll just throw together on you know on a on a cd or a vinyl very much so i mean i i grew up listening to to records to albums uh, which were a collection of songs that were meant to go together. And, you know, singles are great song. You know, I, I love a great single, but there's nothing like a great album uh, where you can put it on and from beginning to end, you're kind of immersed in a, in a world and a vibe. And um, I think some of our records more than others, we were really, we really tried to go for that. And Cerulean is probably the central record where we were trying to make uh an album, not just a collection of pop songs or something. And I think with Ultramarine, the last record we did, and then our new record, we were also thinking very much along those lines, like we want this to be a collection of songs that kind of work well together that you could listen to on a vinyl LP or on a CD from beginning to end and not just sort of throw one song into a playlist, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we, we do think about that for sure. Very cool. So I'm going to ask you about your process for songwriting these days, because I, I know that not only are you a music, musician, but you're also an attorney now. So have you been with a client or been like in a board meeting and some riff comes into your head? So how do you get that riff down for, for future use on a song, considering that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the day job as well? Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, there's a, the stereotypical lawyer, um, you know, that you might think of. I'm not one of those <laughs> lawyers for the most part. I, I have a, I have a very, uh, I just have a, I think a great practice where, um, you know, a lot of my clients are creatives. Um, I have a lot of space in, in my daily life. I mean, I, I usually go for a long walk in the morning and a long walk in the evening. Or bike ride and so there's a lot of spaces where if something is bouncing around in my head musically i can usually capture it um and of course i don't work all the time uh, as a lawyer so there's plenty of time for doing just music uh when i'm not uh, when i'm traveling on the weekend or something like that so um yeah i mean I, I capture a lot of things on my iphone um i capture things in my home studio if it's a lyrical thing, you know, write it out. If it's a musical thing, record it. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Let's, uh, let's go back a few decades. So I, I was recently watching the video for Ballerina Out of Control. And that, going back to my comments uh, in the introduction, that's seriously probably in my top 10 most play, played songs of all time. Um, and I also watched the video for Mercury. So do you ever watch any of those old videos and think, um, what was I thinking on the clothes <laughs> or the haircuts or? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've seen more of those videos in recent years because of just, you know, the band getting on social media and you're always posting things or seeing things that other people post. Yeah. So those, video you know there was a period in my life where i wasn't i hadn't seen those at all and certainly didn't watch them um but i see them more regularly now just because they come up all the time in the, in the band's 
social media feeds and online. Um, but yeah, sure. I mean, there's one video in particular I cannot stomach watching because I just feel like we look like a bunch of goofballs. Um, but you know, I, I, I really like the Mercury video in the sense that I like the vibe of it. Um, yeah, maybe I wish I had, you know, worn a different jacket or something like that, but <laughs> for the most part, it's like, yeah, you know, it was the late eighties and early nineties and that's, that's, uh, we reflect our times for sure. Or the fact it was that a different you, time. Yeah. Or the fact that you're playing a, a guitar in cold weather and we don't see that the guitar <laughs> is actually plugged in anywhere. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've learned that, that that stuff actually doesn't bother me. I mean, it's a, it's a music video really, you know, it's like no one believes for a second. I'm actually out there in the cold, right. like strumming. So it's theater, you know? Yeah. So, so you actually did make a video for All the Way Blue. So I got to yep. ask, because we, my best friend and I um, recently had the, the conversation of why do bands not make videos anymore? Why did you, why did you decide that, yeah, we, we probably need to make at least one video for this record? Oh, I think videos are actually more important than ever. I mean, at least since since MTV went away, um, because I mean, really, the only, there, there's very little radio that people listen to anymore. Yeah. Um, most people listen to, you know, podcasts and streams online. I mean, there's a few good radio stations. I, I listen to KXP in Seattle, for example. I listen love, to love KXP. Uh, uh, yeah, me too. And and uh, Radio K here in Minneapolis, I love. You know, so there are exceptions to that, but for the most part, you know, people are streaming things or seeing things online on their social media feeds. So, so videos, I think, have become an important way for people to discover music. I shouldn't say become; they, they just, they, they still have a lot of currency in that regard. And I feel like people have found out about our our recent records through our videos. Yeah, we did a video for All the Way Blue, we did a video for Kings and Queens. And, you know, it also got us like a article in Billboard magazine and in Pace and on, you know, KCRW because we had these videos, right? Not just yeah. like a song. So I think they serve, I mean, they're essentially commercials for the band. That's what videos have always been. Some rise to a level of art, like, you know, almost every Talking Heads video, for example, or, you know, a great Cocteau Twins video is a beautiful thing to watch. But for the most part, and for most bands, I think it's kind of a commercial for the music. And um, I'm actually really proud of the videos we did for the new record, the two that have been released so far. We've got another one coming out next month. Okay. But for Kings and Queens, I, I mean, I, I think that's one of the best videos we've ever done. Um, and I, I love the video for All the Way Blue as well. So yeah. I'm pretty proud of those guys. Yeah. I like it. All right. So again, going back to the, the the hustle podcast, I felt like John asked you all the questions I would have. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out some random questions. So let's let's okay. say let's say for instance, Ocean Blue gets a tribute album. So who would you have cover Ballerina? And no band is on is off the table. So any band you can have your choice of any band to do Ballerina out of control. Wow. Okay. Whether they like it or not, like I could force them to do <laughs> right. it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cause I've got the power. You guys have the power. Someone has the power. 
Um, boy, that's a good question. You know, for some reason, when you said that, the band that popped into my head is the XX. Okay. Um, I love the way her guitar, she has one of the most interesting, haunting guitar sounds of any sort of modern group. Maybe the guy from Beach House, too. They would be another great candidate. And I, I think it would be really too. fun to hear a woman sing ballerina rather than a dude. So, um, yeah, I would say the XX or Beach House. Well, I suppose if it's the XX, they could kind of do a duet thing. But I don't know. That's Those are the ones that pop in my head. That would be that Good would, question. That would That's be fun. Fantastic. That's a fun thought experiment. Okay, so how about Sublime? Except for that one, you have to choose from the following bands. All right, you ready? And these could be I'm completely, ready. completely different, taking your, your song completely different ways. So we've got Shine Down, got Little Wayne, or you've got Sturgill okay. Simpson, who wants to do a version of it like he did for When in Rome's Promise or Nirvana's In Bloom. So he wants to do a little countrified action of of sublime well probably Sturgill. yeah that would be interesting to hear all right we need him we need to somehow make that happen right <laughs> all right i'll leave it to you too <laughs> yeah yeah because we have so much power on this podcast yeah, there we go that's right all right i know you do i know you do all right <laughs> so uh here here's another question so both johnny marr and morrissey have decided that they want to join the ocean blue but you know that they can't coexist in your band, so you have to pick only one. So who do you pick, Johnny Marr or or Morrissey? Wow. Well, or do you okay, just say gonna... screw it and say uh, I'll take Mike Joyce and Andy Rourke instead? <laughs> oh my! You know, um, if okay, so if it was 1986, <laughs> right? Um, I would have probably. I certainly would have chosen Morrissey. Okay. Um, in this day and age, um, you know, where, where Morrissey is today and where Johnny is today, I would choose Johnny. Yeah. Okay. All right. So one last question before we dive into the Smiths. So we've been asking all of our, all of our guests. So Toto's Africa, is it a good song or a bad song? It is a good song. Fantastic. That's that's the right answer, David. I know it is. I know it is. Are you are you listening to this, Wayne? I agree to disagree. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So so David, tell us what record you chose to revisit. It's one of my all time favorites. It's Meet Is Murder by the Smiths. 
Fantastic. Uh, what other albums did you consider for, for this uh, episode? Well, you know, off the top of my head, um, Avalon by Roxy Music. Good one. YouTube Boy, um, Ocean Rain by Echo and the Bunnymen. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, those those are some of my all-time favorite albums. Those are all good. So I I did have to smile. So when when your publicity people sent me your your choice of record, I was like, well, of course David is going to pick a Smith record, right? You know, con- considering that everyone and their dog has like compared your sound to the, to the Smiths, I guess it would make mm-hmm. sense. I mean, I never really thought you guys sounded like the Smiths, influenced by the Smiths maybe, but never felt like you guys sounded like the Smiths. Yeah, and I I don't really think we do an awful lot. I mean, I think there are other ba- we've been compared to you know a few bands of that era, and I mean. I love the Smiths. You can, I think I, you know, it's obviously we're influenced by them. I don't, it's it's certainly true, but I think the Smiths are such a unique band, particularly in Morrissey's uh, singing and, and, and writing that I don't think anyone sounds like quite like them. Um, And uh, yeah, I think I'm probably more influenced by Johnny, Johnny Myers, a guitar player than I am Morrissey as a singer, but, but I don't know. Yeah. That's my, Hard, so you, to, hard to evaluate yourself. Right, right. Do you do you view Meet Us Murder as the best Smith record? I do. Was this the first Smith record that you found? Um, no, no. It's the first one I fell in love with, and I think Queen is Dead is probably their high water mark. But Meet Us Murder is more of a personal favorite, yeah. and it gets to one of the things you guys were talking about earlier about an album versus a collection of songs. There's something about the way that album works from beginning to end. And it, it has, I think one of the most brilliant songs of the era in terms of a recording, a record and and how soon is now, but it's some of the most heartbreaking songs. And it even has, in my view, kind of a flaw, which happens. I mean, so, so it's like, yeah, there's, there's just so much going on in that record. That's so good. And it's definitely one of the records that we listen to over and over again as a young band. Yeah. Yeah. My introduction to the Smiths came at Queen is Dead. How about you, Wayne? What was your introduction to the Smiths? Well, since it was through you, it was the Queen is Dead, which ever since I've heard it, uh, I think changed my life might be over dramatic, but I, I've never been without that. It's like I've, I I always have it. I love I just absolutely love the Smiths. I love the Queen is Dead. Um, that, that was definitely the gateway. Yeah. And I, I fell in love with there's a light that never goes out. That's, that's just, that's a go-to yeah. song for me. Well, and you know, you know, we of course love that song and have covered it and recorded it, it yep. and we were on fire too. So that's, yeah, yep. that, that may be my favorite, but. But we're yeah. talking about yeah. the record. So I, I wouldn't not, argue with you there. Yeah. We're not, <laughs> we're not talking about a single song. We're talking about a record. So here we go. All right. Well, let me let me throw out some some real quick bio info before we jump into each of the songs. So, Meet Us Murder, second studio album by the Smiths, uh, was released in February of 1985 by 
what record label, Wayne? In the UK, it was the Rough Trade. That was Rough Trade. Uh, this album would become the band's only number one record in the UK and stayed on the chart for 13 weeks. Um, never cracked the, the 100 here in the US. So peaked as high as 110 in the US. I did look up some other chart positions on some of their other albums. Uh, the follow-up, which is The Queen is Dead, that reached number two in the UK. The compilation album, The World Won't Listen, also number two in the UK. And then Strange Ways, Here We Come, which is really the last studio Smith's record that also peaked at number two. And any guesses as to the UK chart position of their live album Rank that came out in 1988? Number two. Number two, yes. Um, so all of the U.S. <laughs> positions for these albums uh, peaked between 55 and 70. And I, I guess I'm just going to throw this out there because all three of us were listening to the Smiths in the, in, the, in the 80s. Why do you think that the U.S. just didn't embrace the band like they did in the U.K.? I mean, other than the obvious of them being a British band, was there something else that was preventing them from being more popular here in the states? No, people are stupid. I don't. There's not. There's no reason they should have been. Like I told you earlier, like I I love this band so much. I just want to grab people by the shirt collar and be like, "You're gonna listen to the Spits, and you're gonna and you're you trust me, you're gonna love it." Yeah. <laughs> there's no good. There's no good reason. So the production of Meet Is Murder. So this is really. It was produced by um, by Morrissey and Johnny Marr uh, and engineered by Stephen Street. Uh, I did read something, and um, you know, David, I can get your 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 feedback on this. I think every every fan of the Ocean Blue know that you guys worked with John Porter, who mm -hmm. produced uh, the, the first Smiths record. I thought that this sentence mm -hmm. was interesting from Wikipedia. Uh, talking about that, it said, after the relative production disappointment of the band's 1984 debut album, The Smiths, singer Morrissey and guitarist Johnny Marr produced the album themselves, assisted only by engineer Stephen Street. Was that first record really that much of a disappointment, though? Or did they just feel like John Porter didn't capture the sound that they were going for? I'm just I'm curious on on if you've heard any conversation related to the production. Yeah, I have. I mean, we worked with John on our first record and um, some of the rec some of the tracks on uh, Meet His Murder were produced by John and were recorded by John. Stephen Street was the engineer. And, you know, I, it really depends on who you talk to, whether you talk to Morrissey, Johnny, or John Porter, I think you'd probably get a different take from each individual, which wouldn't surprise me in the least if you were to ask the guys in the Ocean Blue what their experience was in making the first record, they'd all have a different story, right? Um, <laughs> right. But I do know, but my perspective is that John Porter had a pretty significant influence on the band in the early days for the better. And, you know, I can understand them not being satisfied with the production on their, their first record. I mean, I wasn't satisfied with the production on my first record, and I've come to view it differently later in life. But yeah. you know, a lot of those things you read, it's like, well, you know, are you talking to Johnny Marr of 1986 or Johnny Marr of 2019? And he might say two different things. Certainly with Morrissey, it seems like that would be the case. Um, 
but I know John had a heavy hand in recording those. And How Soon Is Now was a song that he recorded. I mean, I, I, you know, I played through some of the same amps that were used in that. I talked with the engineer about how that track was done. Um, but yeah, you know, <laughs> if you will allow me, I want to hop back to something you said about their popularity. Yeah. Like, I just, it just struck me, like, I never for a moment had a problem with the Smiths not being popular and like massively huge. I liked it that they weren't. I liked it that they were kind of, you know, my friends and I's band. And we had, I think because they were almost like a secret or an underground thing, we had a deeper connection with their music. And, and it was like the fact that the world didn't get them was somehow poetic. And, you know, it's like when I, when I was, when I was growing up, I didn't want to be a popular band. I did, I did, you know, I wanted to be, we didn't use this word, but I wanted to be more underground and alternative. So I, you know, I, I think part of the reason the Smiths were never popular in America is because, you know, the sensibilities here were just like most people just wouldn't get it. And I think some Smith fans would be perfectly okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think we, Wayne, you and I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, Wayne and I had this conversation about REM all the time. As, yeah. soon as, as soon as they left IRS, you know, there was a there was a little bit of a backlash because it's like, well, you can't be still cool and go to Warner Brothers and be on a major label. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, even yeah. though I would, I would, you know, I'm I'm definitely a, a, an REM apologist, so I would say that they uh, they made some pretty good records with with Warner Brothers as well. Definitely those IRS records hold a special place in my heart as well. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I totally, totally understand where, where, where you're coming from on that. All right. Last thing that I wanted to throw out before uh, we jump into each of the songs. So uh, we have talked on a number of episodes about the ranking of the records that we're talking about on Rolling Stones list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Wayne, you'll be happy to know that this ranked number 295. Ooh. So that is nice. way higher than some of the other albums that we've talked about in the last month or so. So Smashing the latter Pumpkins. latter half of the 300s. Yeah, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream, 362. Late for the Sky by Jackson Brown. That was also in the uh, late 300s. So we cracked, the, we cracked the, 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 the top 200, man. Nice. <laughs> So, all right. Well, let's get it. Let's go through each of the songs, and we'll uh, we'll 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 chat about them and 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 give them some scores. So, uh, just as a reminder of how we do this. So, for meat is murder. There are ten songs. We're going to do the U.S. version of the record because well, we'll we'll chat about that once we get to the song that was added to the US version. So so Wayne, how many songs on uh, on this record? 10. So that means our top top song is going to get 10 points. And so here is our first song. So this is the Headmaster Ritual. Bigger than the 
So what would you guys call the vocal styling for this this song? Because I, I almost feel like there's a little bit of a, a, a yodeling thing going on here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in parts, he almost it feels like he's about to break into one and never quite does. But he has this real cool, like, like smooth kind of crooner thing that goes on most of it. Yeah, uh, totally. So what about the lyrics? Should I be troubled by some of the lyrics on this? I think if you send your kid to British schools, you should. I mean, the references <laughs> to the references to violence in this. I mean, I don't know what the military two-step is, but down the nape of your neck, it feels like somebody's kicking you in the back of the head, and there's knee in the groin, kicked in the shower, elbowed, bruises bigger than dinner plates. And I had heard he quit school, which is only to survive, I would imagine. Yeah, and based off of what we know with Morrissey, I mean, he's he's a different chap. So I I can't imagine that that high school was uh, or boarding school was very friendly to him because he is a different kind of guy, and we know what happens to different kinds of guys. So yeah, I'm I'm I think I'm more troubled by the lyrics of one of the last verses if not i guess maybe it is the last view, verse where it's like please excuse me from jim i've got this terrible cold coming on he grabs and devours he kicks me in the showers um yeah yeah i i don't know if i really want to dissect that too much more than that no along with all the other references to just horrifying violence but then once again this is this it captures though They've got this rollicking, fun guitar and some of the best drumming on the record and this real smooth croonery voice and underneath it. So it's like it it takes the edge off of it and doesn't make it this, so horrific. And you're listening to this. But if you if you listen to or, you know, you read the lyrics, you dissect them, you're like, oh, my God. Right. But he covers it up and he does this. on. I mean, it's it's one of the things that he one of his trademarks is taking these. Really I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, these yeah. deep, troubling lyrics, and he, with Johnny Marr's help and his and his and his voice, which he, I don't know of anybody who can who can, you know, emote, you know, despair and disappoint, uh, disappointment and you know, melancholy as as well as he does, and yet the you know he just can't, but he, and still make it so beautiful, and right. and and really sweet in a lot of ways in a, in a lot of songs. Yep. David, what you got for this song? Yeah, I think those are all really good points. I mean, for anyone who did not enjoy high school, this is a great song. And, you know, Morrissey is always melodramatic and elevates it to a poetic level. And, and you know, so I I confess I, I did not enjoy high school. So this was a song that at least, you know, an American kid, didn't have sort of the firsthand kind of understanding of the references and the experience. But, you know, if you didn't like high school, this was a great song. But more than that, I, I mean, the, the, the guitar work and the drumming and the bass work and the, and just the melody of the whole song is incredible. Like Johnny is just going from one sort of inversion of a chord to another. It's not an easy song to learn as a guitar player, but I could kind of listen and hear it and work on it. And, great opening in a great little snare pairing up with, as you guys put it well, you know, Morrissey's little yodeling. So I think it's, it's a killer opening track. I love it. 
And have you ever heard Radiohead cover this, by the way? No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, no, I have not. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm not nearly the Radiohead fan that some of my friends are who kind of worship them, but hearing Radiohead do this song gave me a whole new level of respect for Radiohead and the track. It's really, really interesting to check it out. It's one of those online studio things that Radiohead does. You should check it out. It sounds like I'm going to have to do a YouTube search after this. So, all right. Appreciate the suggestion. All right. Well, uh, let's get some scores. So, uh, Wayne? Uh, an eight. I, I think it's a great opening track, and it's like I say, I love the that duality where with the kind of happy, upbeat music and the not so the the, uh, the terrifying lyrics. Yep, and I uh, I dig it as well. I'm giving this a a nine, and then David, how about for your score? <laughs> I don't have my score sheet in front of me. What you guys have it? I've got I've got it. So David, you gave it an eight. Well, there you go. All right. That's, so that's a pretty that's a pretty strong. We all gave it a pretty high mark. We did. We did. This is definitely going to be in contention for our uh, favorite song on the record. So uh, let's move on to the second song. This. So I'm going to completely slaughter this. So how do how do you pronounce this? Ru- Rushholm ruffians. I say ru- yeah. I say Rushholm, but I'm not from Manchester, so. Me neither. David, how do, how do you pronounce this? Rules from ruffians. Yes. Say that one more time. Rulesome ruffians. Rulesome. But okay. I, yeah, but you know, I'd never really thought about it too hard <laughs> or looked at it too carefully. Yeah. All right, so I, the only note that I have on here is one word for the song, and that's tambourine. <laughs> That's that's my only uh, that's my only note on this. So so Wayne uh, Wayne get us started on uh, on the on this ruffian song. And that's funny that you say that because the whole uh, my mom is a huge Elvis fan, and I don't know how much time I spent as a youth watching those movies that he made in the '60s. And this the music in this sounds like a song that's in every one of his movies, like just that kind of rockabilly, not edgy, cool yeah. rockabilly, but this very kind of mainstream kind of watered down rockabilly with, and I could just see Elvis who, no matter what he was, whether he was a race car driver, a boxer, he was singing, he broke into song in the middle of five or 10 times during his, you know, his movies, but it always, the, the music reminded me of that. And, uh, but the, the lyrics, uh, once again, it's, they're, 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 if you look at them deeper, they're fairly dark, which I guess you would assume for a ruffian, but there's stabbings and, uh, jewelry's get jewelry getting snatched, and I think a girl wants to jump off the parachutes. And there's a reference to the, the classic greasy-haired Carney. Well, unlike of, your your Elvis movies, so Elvis always went home with the girl, right? 
and in the chorus on this one, he's walking home alone. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, what else was there in this? I mean, but like I say, kids getting stabbed, you know, some girl's skirt flying up. It just, someone falls in love, someone gets beaten up. It's a, it's a, it's a tough time in the inner city of Manchester. Yes, don't go to that fair. The carnies are out in full force on uh, for that fair. Yeah. Snatch your engagement ring. Man. All right, David, what 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 do you got on the ruffian song here? Yeah, I, I love this track. Um particularly this when I first heard this, it really opened up a new perspective on on lyrics. Um like, you know, this is sort of like a folk song stories being told, the pictures being painted of this scene um, at a fair. And I just loved the way the images that Morrissey was painting with his lyrics. And and it was a great sort of, we used to call this the hoedown beat, but, you know, yeah, it's very, very, very much like Elvis. As a matter of fact, I think there's a live recording of the Smiths going right from this song into an Elvis song. Nice. And, um, so, so I think that's really true. They, they were, they were tapping into that kind of vibe. And I think you can hear, um, there's a couple of songs in our, on our first record. And when we were playing in the early days, that was definitely influenced by that sort of hoedown beat. It's also on another track on here too. And I, I love that, that about it. And the tambourine right on, um, learned a lot about how to shake a tambourine from the Smiths. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's get some scores. So, uh, so David, I'll just throw out yours. So you you gave it a six. Oh, I got I got his yeah I got my scores in front of me now. Yeah, I think I gave this one a five. Okay, and then uh, and then Wayne, I gave it a three. It was like I say I think I think the Elvis uh, like homogenized rockabilly kind of brought it down. Yeah, and I gave I gave it a four. All right. So let's move on to I Want the One I Can't Have. beginning of this song i almost started singing shyness is nice shyness can stop you and that's that's from ask if you didn't didn't know but i it, it kind of has that 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 same intro vibe to me and this is definitely another overtly brooding and obs- obsession type song uh the lyrics of on the day that your mentality catches up with your biology Oh my gosh, I, I I love that. I love that line. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. And like I say, the like you're talking about the obsession, you know, the tough kid who swallows nails, raised on basement when he was thirteen, which impressed me. Like I say, he's it's definitely got those uh that you know, some like sexual ambiguity type uh 
mood to it. Yeah. But it's and and lots of their songs have a like I say they have a, they can be similar. This one I didn't notice as much as a couple of others, but they do, he definitely has a sound. But I mean the line that I loved was the double bed and a stalwart lover for sure. These are the riches of the poor, which when you're poor, as you know, I have been. Sex is entertainment is 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 a stalwart for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just so, so I have the benefit of seeing everybody's scores in advance. So you Wayne, you like this song a little more than David and I do. Is it is it because of that? There's a little more uh, autobiography going on in this particular song that that somehow yeah, resonates there's a with lot you. Of, there's a lot of things going on, and and it's all and it's all good. I, and I mean the idea, they're just the the. I love those long titles when when they put those long titles, and the even the title itself. I mean, who hasn't uh, wanted someone that they can't have that and that longing and that and that obs- and that unanswered obsession. Yeah. He captures that so well. And like I say, this album, the top, there was probably like six songs. Three songs quickly fell to the bottom. Like I knew, I didn't really know the order, but the three, there were three songs that I, I wasn't as huge a fan of. And then the others, I literally didn't even score this until like this morning because I, I, I listened to the UK version. So I wasn't even listening to How Soon Is Now because I have a, a relationship with that song <laughs> that's that's you know hot and cold um or love and hate uh and so i'm listening to the, these other songs and i don't know which one is is going to be it's hard there this is like you know I, to david's point this is a great album um my favorite album is you know the queen is dead but this is just a wonderful album and it was hard to pick a song but ultimately uh, decisions had to be made I know we <laughs> we go through this every episode where we have to justify our, our our scores. I get it. I get it. So so David, how about you? What uh, what do you got on this particular song? Yeah, I mean, I could have scored this exactly the same as as Russian ruffians. I mean, it's it's such a lyrically strong song, and I think the music lines up with the lyrics really well. And this one, more than telling a story, I think expresses sort of state of mind that anyone who's sort of heartbroken or longing for someone they don't have can totally relate to which is why so many people love 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 the smiths and and the music matches up in this sort of really i think good way in, in sort of communicating a frustration so um yeah i um i yeah so this one i think got what a six from me I yes think. yes I read on it. Yeah, yeah. So, but easily could have been. I, I put it in the same category as is the last one for sure. Okay. Lyrically strong, maybe musically not one of my favorites, but yeah. Yeah. All right, and then Wayne, your score? A nine. This is a, my second favorite song. And and I gave it a three, and I don't feel good about my score. So, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. All right, uh, moving on to what she said.
My notes here are get your black eyeliner and your Doc Martens ready because this song is dark. Um, but I think that that going back to the previous points that we talked about, the brilliance of the Smiths is that they can write some really cheery music, but layer it with the dark lyrics because they could have easily written all of their songs like the vein of, you know, heaven knows I'm miserable now, etc. where I think the lyrics kind of match the, the somber tone of the music, but they didn't. I mean, let's go back to headmaster ritual. Like that's, that's a peppy song, right? That's an upbeat song until you start peeling back the, the, the onion of the lyrics. And then you go, Oh crap. This is about like abuse in in boarding school. The thing that popped out to me right away was vocals on it almost sound uh, it has a demo feel like and, and i don't know if i was listening to the 2011 remaster but it sounded like they recorded his vocals in a big empty room uh which obviously brought it down for me and also the the guitar which has this cool like almost like a piano sound to it but it, and he's not big on lead and, he, and or, I don't know, I can't even think of a Smith song with a guitar solo. But in this one, it started to get repetitive, which happens in a couple other songs, or at least one other one that I can think of. And so even though it probably wasn't looped, it kind of had this looped feel to it. Yeah. David, how about this song? Yeah, it's, just a, it's kind of a short, messy song. And um, I like it for that reason, but it's not like, doesn't rank up there. But I love, love, love what it does on the album like how it goes how we go from what she said into that joke isn't funny anymore yeah i mean there's just this it just this cacophony of guitars and snares tripping over each other and you know yeah morrissey does sound like he's kind of disembodied and far away above the music and then the song stops and we go into the next track so to me like it, it's not in and of itself a great song um or I shouldn't say that it's a great song. It's not one of my favorite songs in isolation, but what it does on the record is just brilliant. How we go from this into the next song. So I love it for that reason, but, but yeah, it's, it's not going to get one of my top scores. Right. I think that this is a good palate cleanser for the next song. Cause I think it's, it's, it's a perfect, yeah. it's a perfect sequencing for the next song, which uh, is really one of the highlights on the record for me. So, all right, uh, I'm going to throw out my score, so I'm giving it a six. Wayne? I gave it a four, and I think this is the song with the line about the tattoo boy from uh, Birkenhead, which I uh, just want to make reference to. that. I know he doesn't have any tattoos, but Elvis Costello moved to Birkenhead with his mom when he was really young. So I don't think that's not who he's talking about, but I found that out when I was just – I get like him – rabbit holes with Smith songs. <laughs> I give it a four. <laughs> I would have yeah, been remiss if I hadn't mentioned that. Yeah. 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 And, and, and David, you, you said you gave it a four as well? Yeah. Yep. All right. 
so that's uh, setting us up for that joke isn't funny anymore. David, uh, why don't you get us started on this uh, this song? Yeah, this this is this is a great song, and it has such a brilliant setup on the record. Like I said, going from what she said into that joke isn't funny anymore, and um, this is one of my favorites on the record. Um, and I love the space. Um, I love the the meter of the song, um, the waltziness, and way the acoustic guitars sound um and this has one of my favorite sort of ends to uh to the track too where where we fade down and then come back in and um of course that sets up the next song on the american release um but yeah this is a brilliant song great lyrics too um but that's pretty much true for every song in this record yeah, what did what did so, you guys think about the 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 fade out and then the fade back in and then the final outro? Um, w- w- what kind of message are are they portraying with that? You know, I didn't read a whole lot into it. I do. I know that that sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And and in this song, it works because I I don't, I don't know if it's because I really like the song that when it kind of faded away, there's a, <laughs> I'm a little bit sad, and then when it came back, I was a little bit happy again, and then. It has everything has to end, so I I came to terms with it, but I enjoyed it. I came, thought it worked. Came to terms with it. I like I like. Do you that. read something into it? <laughs> well, you know we're Ben we're, always tries reading something into everything. Yeah, we're, I don't think so. We're we're apt. Look, you know you you keep saying that I'm over analyzing stuff. <laughs> Let's go back to the last couple episodes, my friend. You 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 are you are right there in the over analysis, just like I am. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, what to make of it. I, I thought that, that there's probably something to it, but maybe they just thought it was a cool sound. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, was... I don't know either. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe it's a musical joke, like in, you know, playing off the title, but I just think it works musically um, where you're kind of, you know, you're ending on that, the, those plaintive lyrics, um, you know, now it's happening in my, you know, what seems to happen in other people's lives, now it's happening in mine. And in yeah. that just kind of is sailing out at the end with those those great guitar swells and it, it drifts off and then it kind of comes back. And yeah, it's just, ah, it's dreamy. It's great. I love it. Yep. I dig the song. I did end up dropping it two slots just because of the repetitiousness of the song. And it's, you know, there's two different times there that there's a lot of repetition first with the kick them when they fall down. And then with the, uh, I've seen this happen in other people's lives and now it's happening in mine. Um, but I, I'm still giving it a pretty high score. I, I'm giving this a, a, a seven. 
And then David, what what about your uh, your score on this? Yeah, my score is a seven two, um, and only just because there's just even greater songs. I mean, on a normal record, this would be like a solid ten. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just another plug for the amazing guitar playing. It's just the acoustic guitars. There's all kinds of cool swells. There's great little echoes that Johnny does. It's just, it's a study in brilliant guitar playing. Absolutely. All right. Moving on. And again, uh, we're, we're doing the, the, the U.S. version of this. So this is uh, How Soon Is Now. David, I know what your score is, so get us started on the fantastically how soon is now. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's a reason the most popular song by a band is the most popular song. And, you know, how soon is now, maybe only barring There is a Light is, is the most popular Smith song. That It's certainly the one I've heard the most in my life. The first time I ever heard it when I was a teenager, it blew me away. I just could not get over what was going on, not just with the guitars, which are otherworldly and brilliant, but, you know, Morrissey's play on words, how he sings, the, uh, the, the, the lyrical content is so rich and despondent and hits on all the reasons, you know, you would want to love the Smiths. And, you know, on a personal note, like I said, this was a song that John definitely produced, John Porter, that, you know, I think got added to the UK record when it was released here in the States. And I think really was, at least at that point in time, maybe barring This Charming Man was the Smith's biggest thing. It's the first Smith's video I ever saw. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when they were on Sire here in the US, it was, it was a really uh, a good track for them uh, chart-wise. But yeah, I just love this song and I love the way it's recorded. I love the way it's composed, guitars, lyrics, everything. It's great. And it's got a beat you can dance to. It it does, and I and I know that that's where some Smiths fans are like, well, this isn't really indicative of their entire catalog. Yeah, who who cares? It's still a great song. Well, as one of those people, I'm only gonna I I I, I take I I disagree, but I think this is one of the most recognizable songs right away when he hits that first strum with that that delay distortion effect that whatever that he's doing there it's brilliant and it has this real atmospheric moody eerie feel but i i do have a problem that it is the most because most recognizable smith songs people and i i i buy i'm i agree, i admit that i'm being completely pretentious about the whole thing but people who don't know any other songs they know this song and it's because it was in movies and it was it was the theme song to a TV show, and I feel like this isn't representative of their of their work, and that 
like I said earlier, they should be grabbed by the shirt collar and forced to listen to other things. All that being said, I completely agree that this is a super cool song. And the other ironic thing about it is that my favorite Smith song is Shoplifters of the World Unite, which sonically has lots in common with How Soon Is Now. So, so David, can you tell who, uh, between the two of us, hates all the R.E.M. Warner Brother albums? <laughs> That's not true. I love Green. I, uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm even more, probably more of a pretentious cat when it comes to R.E.M. I mean, for me, they're... Yeah, we, we, that's for another podcast. There, there you go. There you go. Because <laughs> Murmur was another record I, I could have chosen. Uh, it was on my short list. Uh, that's, that's so. Murmur is so good. Um, all right. All so. that said, some of the lyrics in this are just, I mean, the uh, just the, the rawness of a lyric like shyness that is criminally vulgar. And I, until doing this podcast, always thought when he said, I am the son, I am the heir, I assumed S-U-N. A-I-R, oh. and when you read the lyrics, exactly. it's actually S-O-N-H-E-I-R, which I, that blew me away. That just, that yeah, just freaked that, me out. That, that's exactly, that's what I was trying to say earlier about the, 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 his play on words there is just brilliant. And again, hitting that sort of like teenage angst scene of like being at a dance, you know, you go on your own. Leave it's on your just own, so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you go home and you want to die. <laughs> yeah. I'm human and I need to be loved just like everybody else does. I I love so many things about this this song. Oh. I I also love just the way that Morrissey sings this, but also does a little bit of a of a uh, talking in it. Yeah. You know where he's like there of nothing in particular. You know that's. That gets, right. that gets me every time. And what's amazing on this particular song is, you guys know, you know the history of this? This was a B-side. This was the B-side to William, It Was Really Nothing. And so they did subsequently put this on Hatful of Hollow, which came out before, before, this, uh, before this record. And that was essentially made up of singles that had been released up to that point and and their b-sides and i'm so glad that uh somehow somehow this got over to the u.s because yeah this this is just a great song but i get i get your point wayne i get your point of you know a little bit of overexposure to, uh, of this but um i think you're wrong but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> Now I think you're wrong. So there we go. There we go. And we're even. All right, let's get some scores then. So I'm giving this an eight, Wayne. A seven. And then David. Ten. Yep. Moving on to Nowhere Fast. I'd like to drop my trousers to the world I am a man of means, of slender means. Each household appliance is like a new sign. Such a shock, I'd probably jump in the ocean And the weather train goes by It's such a sad sound It's such a sad thing
And you got some explaining to do, I think, Wayne, because I, I, I know what your score is on this. So tell me why this uh, this this got the, the score that it did for you. Um, lots of reasons, uh, but it, it has this, it has this great, almost like country surf sound to it. Um, but his lyrics, I mean, they're very, this is a big issue disguised in a pop song. I mean, the idea in England of pulling your pants down in front of the queen is, uh, is punk rock. I love that. But the whole idea of this, he's kind of, there's a class war kind of going in here where, They've got you thinking that, you know, the newest refrigerator or microwave is is science and and just this this crass consumerism that's being pushed down on the lower class. Um, and you just and you don't see it. That's why I like you go through this this force fed kind of a thing to where if you had an actual natural emotion, you'd be so shocked by it that you would jump into the ocean. There's it's it's got some punk rock edge to it. Yeah, I figured that that that's why you uh, you you rated it as high as you do because you've got the whole dropping of the trous trousers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, David, what you got on this this song? Well, I mean, there, to me, this kind of does the same thing as uh, what she said on side one. Um, it's it's a real sort of frantic song. Brilliant lyrically. Totally agree with with um, everything you said there about, about the lyrics, Wayne. And I, it's, you know, just not, doesn't, it's not um, one of my favorites, um, but I think it's a great song and I love how it kind of explodes out of how soon is now. And then we go into one of my next favorite tracks in while I wonder, and it's a sort of the same sort of like frantic to like, Ooh, now we're in this dream state again with, well, I wonder. So, for me, it's like a it's a super important track, album track on this record, and that's kind of the way I I relate to it. But lyrically brilliant, lyrically brilliant. Yeah, it's a great transition song for me as well. So, all right. So Wayne, what was your score? I gave it a ten. This, well, I mean, like I said, there's these five or six songs out of out of nine that I was listening to, um, but I just ultimately and also and I kept getting this because that that country Western thing that's going on. Clearly this is not a country Western band. And it always, it kept making me think of that scene in the blues brothers when they, they get, they, they get that, they pretend to be that other band and get that gig at that honky tonk and just play stand, stand by, by your, your man, man. and the, and the uh, theme to rawhide. And this just, I don't know, it just conjured that up every time. And like I say, I love the lyrics. I, I just thought he was making a very irreverent and, and, but very important, angsty punk rock point and i i'm a sucker for that there you go <laughs> and then david your score uh three and then i gave it a five so that moves us over to well i wonder
I'm just going to throw this out there. This is this is my top score. Uh, I love everything about this song. There's a great bass riff in there. The acoustic guitar is just hypnotic. Morrissey's vocal range on on this song is great. And then the lyrics, the the lyrics of gasping but somehow still alive. This is the fierce last stand of all I am. Gets me every time. I love this song. This is this is one of my go-to Smith songs. Uh, if I if I have a Smith playlist, well, I wonder always always is on that playlist. Yeah. What do you got on this, David? So uh, I it's it's right up there for me too. I mean, this is almost a ten for me, but um, I I yeah I I agree with everything you said. I think this is such a dreamy song. I mean, if you don't get weepy listening to this song. I mean, I don't know what would make you weep. It's it's so beautiful and and haunting. Um, and I yeah, I love I love how that bass works in this song. Love the acoustic guitar. Um, love how Morrissey just kind of you know wisps out those well I wonders. And the keep me in mind is just is <laughs> is someone who's dying to just kind of say well keep me in mind. It seems like just asking for the small little thing. Um, Ah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can't. I, I love this track. Have we, we talked about covers earlier. Have we ever heard anyone cover this song? I don't know if anybody could cover this song, considering where how his vocal range is on this on this particular track. Yeah, I think it'd be hard. You know, in looking at all these songs, it's funny how... I can see so many of the songs I've written. I'm trying to do what the Smiths are doing in a number of these songs. And this is definitely one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Achieve that same sort of stuff. Yeah. All right, Wayne. So, uh, so, so David and I both love this song, but uh, I don't think you, 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 sh- you share that love that we do based uh, on the score I got here. And I, I do share it. Um, for all of the same reasons, I like I love this 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 very simple arrangement with these very eerie, like this ghostly. I mean, I don't. I started to tr- I started diving into these lyrics. Like, is he alive? Is this? No one does unrequited love like Morrissey. But I, I I'm looking at these lyrics and I don't. It's almost like he's a ghost. And and it, I guess in a way that's exactly what he was going for. But it's just with all of the great songs on this, this is one of those songs that I was saying like. If I could have just given out five, two, you know, five, you know, nines, I, I absolutely would have. Yeah. Because just for that reason, like I say, this song, I think David made the point earlier. This song on any on another album would have easily been the best song on there yep. of any of, of many of their contemporaries or the '90s alternative bands that they that they influenced. This would have been the best song on the record. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I already told you this is my top score, David. It's my second top score. It's a nine. Yep, and then Wayne. And I gave it a five. I'm not. I don't feel super comfortable with that, but there is something about this song that has a very, you know, there is a light that never goes out. Kind of please, 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 let me get what I want feel to it. So, I guess yeah. they lost some points for originality, but it's their own work. And I, those two songs are in my top, <laughs> my top, top ten favorite. Uh, 
Smith songs. I'm pretty sure Well I Wonder came before those songs. Well, then they did it better later. That's all. I'm they say. did it better later. Okay, there you go. All right. Uh, all right. Here is uh, the second to last song. So this is Barbarism Begins at Home. How great is that title? <laughs> Unless you're in that home, it's great. Unless yeah, you're in the home, you're right, 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 right. The word barbarism does not get used uh, nearly enough in in modern culture. <laughs> but I kept waiting when this thing starts for Debbie Harry to start rapping because this has a very disco-y mm. uh, beat in it that is not in it. And by no means do I dislike it, but it seems... Whereas like in the last song, I said they sounded too much like the Smiths, I guess is a one way to put it. In this song, it's so different that it, it was distracting. And he also, does, doesn't he, is this the one where he takes like three minutes to end this thing? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, can't, you can't do that. This really, in hindsight, after I had ranked it, I wanted to switch this one to my least favorite because of I hadn't paid attention to the three minutes of yowling or whatever and he also does this thing where it's almost like he's trying to bark or something <laughs> i don't i don't know this one this one and it's another like he's a barbarian or something yeah I, but not he's, he's, <laughs> he's a barbarian which is not scary at all uh <laughs> but uh yeah so there was just lots and this is more of that anti-corporal punishment which he does so much better in the headmaster ritual well, first of all, yeah. Mor Morrissey the Barbarian would never happen because didn't wasn't Conan? Didn't he wear like um, skins of animals? <laughs> Once again, that's why he wouldn't be scary because you know right. Morrissey the Barbarian <laughs> wears uh, polyester suits or right. you know non-animal based, and is he's obviously going to be hungry a lot because he doesn't have enough protein. So, once again, <laughs> not scary. Yeah, I I originally had this ranked higher at the beginning of the week, but you know I, I I try and listen to the records that we're talking about four to five times. So you know I was listening to this repeatedly over the last week, and whatever you're calling it, the yodeling, the yowling, um, got got to be too much. And I would have liked this song better if it was like a four minute song, maybe three minutes and 36 seconds would have been perfect that's right yeah. you know that's where the yodeling that's where the yowling and the yammering think, starts though. yeah that's about right for yeah. three minutes yeah all right david you've you've heard wayne and i yammer on about this this uh this song a anything you want to add no no i i mean i i for me i think about this as it's a piece of a great record um the title's great the lyrics are clever the fact it drones on for seven minutes kind of proves the point, um, but it's not a song I, I ever wanted to listen to a lot. 
Um, I mean, I kind of dig the disco-y thing that the Smiths fall into sometimes. And, but yeah, I, I, it's not something, it's, it's not something as near to, and dear to me on this record. Um, but I think it, it serves a kind of purpose in the whole that is cool. Uh, but in isolation, yeah, I, I didn't rank it high. Yep. Agreed. All right, let's get some scores. So David, what was your score on this? Two. And then Wayne? I also gave it a two. Yep. And I'm matching the two as well. And uh, the Deuce is wild. Deuce is wild. All right. So uh, <laughs> so let's wrap up the album with the title track. So this is Meat is Murder. This beautiful creature must die A death for no reason And death for no reason is murder And the flesh you so fancifully fry Is not succulent, tasty or kind It's death for no reason And death for no reason And and before we go down a path that will get PETA to boycott our podcast, so this song is not going to persuade me to change my eating habits because I do love a good burger and a good steak. So, and I would say one of the reasons that this law that it, this there's a, n- a number of reasons that it fell to the bottom, but I like I don't like to think about the whole process because I at my at, at philosophically I don't disagree with them. I mean, right. if we treated cats and dogs and horses like we treat cows, chickens, and pigs, people would lose their mind. There would be uproar in the streets. So it's it is a little bit disingenuous of uh, disingenuous of society to go to to make to try to make it you know big big cows and Chick Fil A commercials and stuff and try to you know make it easier to take when really you give anything to big business and the first thing they try to do is get it done cheaply and quickly and not humanely. But like I say, two things, I'll say two words that make, that just make me my skin crawl and that's lamb and veal. That is messed up. You shouldn't be eating baby anything. And so I also appreciate that, that Morrissey has been a vegetarian since he was like 11, which would have been like 1970 in England. I don't even think that was the thing. No. I mean, they they put meat in every. They have meat pie. I mean, <laughs> everything is meat. So that couldn't have been an easy road to hoe. He and he maintains that stance to this day, um, and now is even a, is vegan. So I I my hats off to him. But the cow mooing isn't necessary. It, it goes on too long, and the idea that it's not succulent is wrong because it's delicious. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, now that you've heard from two uh, two uh, very open meat eaters, what, what do you got on this? Yeah, I guess the lens through which I look at this is not really like, you know, do I, is not sort of the vegetarian uh, or anti-meat lens because um, to me, it's just not a very good song. Um, whether I agree with the sentiments or the logic, it just doesn't hold up to the same song craft as every other song on this record. Yeah. Um, the way the, the themes of lost love are attacked or the, you know, troubling British boarding schools is dealt with. I mean, it's poetry. It's clever. It's funny. 
there's nothing that's really very clever about the song. I mean, you look at the lyrics and they're kind of literal and yeah. just holding, holding the music and the lyrics up to the level of craft and art and poetry that you find in the other songs, this song just always was a disappointment to me. And it's ironic because it's the title track and I don't have anything. Uh, I don't have an issue with the sentiments or the, the, the phil- ph- philosophy of what he's getting at as a vegetarian it's just not, it's not really well presented. So that, that to me is my biggest, was always my biggest hang up with the song. It's just like, well, I don't really like it much as a song. And, you know, coming, particularly when you're coming off of these high poetry songs, beautiful music, and you end up with the song. To me, it's kind of like the Achilles heel of the record, but it's still one of my favorite records. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, and I, I, my first note is heavy-handed because I think, to your point, I exactly I, I agree. Is that in those others he took very serious uh, issues and he he somehow disguised them and and kind of has to he lures you in and you kind of subtly look into it deeper and find out what he's talking about. And this one he's beating you over the head, which exactly your, it's literal. He's not giving you. He's not, you know, wooing you. He's not crooner. You know, he's got doesn't have his crooner voice on. He's and like I say, it's an important subject to him, so I get it. But yeah, he didn't he didn't use that same cleverness and the same uh, things that he used in all those other songs. Yeah, mm. not not the first time, or certainly not the last time that Morrissey has thrown out some socially conscious views, right? I mean, he's not very popular right now. Oh, he, I was just going to say, I mean, he, he's been in the news recently with some of his political views, which haven't exactly been popular. And, you know, that's, that's a whole other podcast episode about uh, <laughs> being able to separate the man from the music or the man from the, from his politics. So um, just go read Billy Bragg's comments about, about that. Uh, think he's like uh billy bragg said something about how morrissey's broken the hearts of smith's fans all over the place and i i don't have the exact quote but uh, i read it a couple days ago like i yeah i get it but yeah so you should read nick cave's thoughts on it it's pretty good i haven't read nick cave's comments on it he had some stuff did he yeah i heard he had some good points and then like i say i know damon alburn from Blur, or formerly of Blur, he had some issue too. Because I, I mean, he made com- and I haven't, I haven't dove into the comments because, like I say, I, I don't want to be disappointed, or you know, I can't see me turning my back on the Smiths be- based on it. But uh, no, I, and I would say Nick Cave has a very nuanced view of it. I think a very thoughtful view, not just sort of a knee jerk like, "Wow, I can't believe he's saying these things," and you should burn your Smith records. You should, you should check it out. Yeah, yeah I will. I'm gonna. All right. All right. Uh, I think from all of our comments, we've kind of already said <laughs> what our score is on this, but uh, just just for just for clarity. So, David, your score This is one. And then Wayne. Also, this is my one. Yeah, this is my one as well. So I won't even ask you guys what our lowest uh, lowest rank scores were because <laughs> uh, we just talked about them. All right. Let's let's look at our top five. So we've got a we've got a two way tie for our top song based off of the average score. So, what uh, what two songs are our our uh, ranked number one? I want the one I can't have and how soon is now? 
those are your top two songs. What's the <laughs> average scoring? I so like how, that song was nowhere fast. Yeah, how, how soon is now is definitely is definitely uh, it, uh, followed by Headmaster Ritual. So those got our those got our uh, top average score of eight point three three. That was followed by Well I Wonder with an average score of eight, and then uh, that joke isn't funny anymore. That's our fourth highest at a six point six six. And then we've got a two-way tie for fifth, which is nowhere fast, and that's all you're doing, uh, Wayne, with your uh, with your top top score. And I want the one I can't have. Uh, also, you're doing. <laughs> so I'm rewrite this whole thing. That's it. So Wayne Wayne definitely had uh, had some had some showing here on the top top five. That's right, sucker puncher. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, did uh, did we cover everything on this record? Did we miss anything? Oh, not on this. I mean, I know that um, I I I know there'll never be a reunion, um, and I'm okay with that. But I, I I will say for the record that they made each other uh, Johnny Marr and Morrissey made each other better. Not that I because Morrissey's solo work is I I love it and I and everything Johnny Marr has done that guy is like the hardest working man in rock and roll he's always in somebody's band whether he's making new music or touring um, but still the stuff they did those that stuff they did with the Smiths which is a, a small in in consideration a small catalog you know four studio albums an EP uh, but it's I think it warrants uh, entrance into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I do too. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Well, David, it's been a pleasure revisiting with you. So remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of the Ocean Blue. Well, you can find out more about us. Probably best place is theoceanblue.com. Find out about the new record, where we're playing. Um, We'll be in Philadelphia and uh, Norfolk next month. We're in Minneapolis and Phoenix this week and lots of other places throughout the year. And aren't you going to South America at some point too? We are in September and in 2020. So September, we're going to do some dates in Peru. 2020, we're going to go back and play some other places. Awesome. All right. So last question that I throw out to all the guests, and I'm lifting this question from fellow podcaster here in Orlando who does the Scotch and Good Conversation podcast. So, so David, who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on the podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Oh. I always, I always put people on the spot with this particular. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you guys know the band, The Innocence Mission? I do. Like them. Very Mazzy Star. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think Don Paris is one of my best friends in the Innocence Mission would be a great guy to talk to. Fantastic. Let's let's make it happen. I'd love to talk to him. Yeah. yeah. All right. Can I say one thing before yeah. before you sign off? Just this, I feel like I have to say this at the end where I've I've thrown out a lot of words of criticism. <laughs> I, there, you know. The Smiths are absolutely hands down one of my favorite bands and I have nothing 
but respect for them in this amazing record. I, I could only dream of ever doing a record like this. So even though somebody ends up with a one, <laughs> it's like, yeah, to, to what we were saying earlier, any one of these songs could be the best song on anyone else's record. So um, everything in context, man, this, this record's pure genius. It's a Absolutely. good one. It's a good one. We're, we, we were very excited when you picked it because it's like, cool, this is the first time we get to talk about the Smiths in uh you know in depth and uh this is not going to be the last smith's episode that we'll ever do because whether a guest picks queen is dead or we just end up doing one of our <laughs> ourselves. one of one of our one of our own just you and me riffing about it wayne um there will there will definitely Maybe wayne's dog could pick queen is dead and you could just be <laughs> there you go there you go yeah all right. So as a reminder to our guests, so we're on Instagram using the hashtag Records Revisited Podcast. A man in the Facebook page. You can find that at Records Revisited Podcast. Um, you can also review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Castbox and iHeartMedia. And if you really want to get to our landing page, uh, you can go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. It'll take you right there. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record, a record that might be called Kings and Queens, Knaves and Thieves. Uh, visit a record store, and not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited, and we are out. Out. out.